Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. Okay, when we were last together, uh, any other questions about stuff? Okay, when we were last together, we were going through the um, scriptural case that is to be made for, I, st- I said this as we were starting with the Reformed position on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but as I said, as I tell you the Reformed position, it's going to be every position in this particular specific thing we're talking about this is every position other than charismatic and Pentecostal because Pentecostalism was the emergence of this notion of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a secondary thing so you know whether you're Orthodox or whether you were traditionally Roman Catholic or whether you were um, you know an Arminian or it didn't matter if you came from a tradition prior to 1906 um, and you weren't Pentecostal you believed the baptism of the Holy Spirit was uh, connected to the salvation experience. So um, we're talking about the case for that. And does anybody remember the two points that we made? For everybody mm-hmm. that's saved, mm-hmm. or the Holy Spirit is beginning at salvation. I thought that was one point. Yeah, so, and, and, and huh? Yes, it belongs to everyone. Yeah, so that's the second one. Is it's, a, it's spoken about as parallel with John's baptism, as in it's a replacement for. So like you used to go, in, in, in prior to Christ, you would go get the repentance baptism. Now, instead of that, you're saved and have the Holy Spirit baptism. Does that make sense? So there's a correlation there. And um, there are seven verses in the New Testament that talk about this, and we read, read through them last week, and I'm just going to quickly review them because we did it last week, but you'll see why I want you to have them fresh in your mind here in a moment. So Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist talking. But the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So instead of me baptizing, now Jesus will baptize. So if Jesus is the one baptizing, it means everyone Jesus touches, metaphorically speaking, they get that baptism. So like John gives you this baptism, Jesus gives you this one. It's a one-to-one parallel. Mark 1.8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John uh, answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one is more powerful than I am is coming. I am not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Notice it's who baptizes. It's like ongoing present tense. And then in Acts For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And then they're looking back on that moment in Acts chapter 2 when uh, the Holy Spirit descended on all of the 
upper room uh, attendees, I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then, now that this is the way things work, you see Paul referring to it in 1 Corinthians where he says, we were all <coughs> baptized by one spirit into one body. Now, we're going to get into this in the, later, but he's writing to the church. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a secondary work that could come later, and he's writing to Christians, what would have, why would that have affected the way he wrote this sentence? Do you think? If, if the Pentecostal understanding was true, what would have to change here? It's something that happens to everyone at the same time almost? Or? Yeah, it assumes that, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. if, if, he, if Paul understood that you could be saved and not have the Holy Spirit baptism yet, and some time could pass, in theory, how long would that time be? There is no such thing. Pentecostals will even tell you there's no such thing, right? Well, he would have to say here, most of you were baptized into the Holy Spirit. I know some of you are still waiting. He would have to because he, how would he know? It's just a giant body of Christians that he's writing to, correct? And by the way, this is the Holy Spirit speaking, right? The Holy Spirit's inspiring Paul. So the Holy Spirit knows that this scripture is going to be read by us, meaning there would definitely be in our midst somewhere a person who had been saved but was still waiting. Correct? But he doesn't say that. He says, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So, John the Baptist marks the old order, and he predicts the Messiah, and then the one after him is going to baptize with something way more powerful than just the water. That's going to be fire. And so, um, next thing you know, that takes place. And so, I put this little pattern we saw through those seven verses. It's will. Someone will baptize, will baptize, will baptize, will baptize. In a few days, you'll be baptized, and then we were all baptized. It flips over. Does that make sense? So, um, I said that unfortunately this didn't settle the debate for Pentecostals though because they will nitpick at this word right here. See, they'll say, well, all those other six, they said with, and this says by the Spirit. See? Well, the problem is in the Greek, it's the same. It's just in the let, the word. Our transliteration is E-N. Probably not in the practice of going back. Yeah, it's a lot easier, especially to just use the key. One of the reasons why people are militant about the King James only is there's a lot of theology built around the exact way the King James says things. Lots of theology is built around the exact wording of the King James. And frankly, but this is not a new problem, by the way, to, to, to give some grace to our English cohorts, there was theology that emerged earlier in church history that was because they, didn't, they couldn't read Greek, they could only read Latin, and their Bible was in the Vulgate. <laughs> so uh, that became a problem at the councils, too. The Roman 
The Roman attendees to the ecumenical councils didn't speak Greek, and they had to have somebody translate for them. And they would get stuff wrong because they would be translating it to Latin. And the rest of the entire church spoke natively Greek. And so they spoke the language of the apostles, whereas the Roman church didn't. And that created an issue. So where's a good version? Huh? What's a good new, um, modern version to me? This one right here is a good one. CSB? Christian Standard Bible. Okay. Yep. It's the most accurate way to get to just learn Hebrew. Yeah, you should do that, Steve. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm confused. That's where it leads to. But you don't need to know Greek or Hebrew now. I mean, it's really good to learn it, by the way. If you want to learn he Greek or Hebrew, you'll be very edified to do so. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. However, we have unbelievable tools today where you can just, any person who's willing to learn to use the tools can understand what is the original Greek. That should be the next class. So you don't need, you don't need to have been able to read it originally in Greek. I do, I, I do um, have a moderate understanding of Greek because I, I, I've trained myself to, do, to read the Greek New Testament. I haven't done Hebrew yet. However, I don't have nearly the level of scholarship that I would need to do some of the deep dive studies I do. And I do really deep Greek studies. And like I even do uh, Greek, uh, I read the uh, church fathers in Greek, in their original Greek, and just use tools to translate what they're saying. So it's very, very available to you. Okay, so here's, here's the problem with their argument too, besides the fact that the Greek is different. There are four parts to all baptism types, okay? The first part is the subject, the one doing the baptizing. The second is the object, the one being baptized. The third is the element that they're being baptized into, such as water or fire, or baptized with, you might say. And then <clears throat> the purpose, an expression of repentance, being united into one body. So if we go back to here, sorry, you got that? Yeah. I should have put this passage right after the slide and I didn't, so I have to go backward. So everybody got these? No. The Pentecostal understanding of this is going to have a problem. Can you tell me what it is? The Pentecostal understanding, just so you all understand the argument, is they're saying, see before they were saying baptized in the Holy Spirit, but now this is a new era where the Holy Spirit's the one doing the baptizing. Yes, that's exactly right. There's no element. Is it the one body, the element? Mm-mm. That's the purpose. You mean like speaking in tongues? With the, oh, mm -mm. The See, okay, let's review these again. <laughs> okay, to have a baptism, you need the person doing the baptizing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's just, let's, just use, let's just use our water baptism. I'm going to baptize Steve. So I'm the subject. I'm baptizing. Who am I baptizing? Steve. What am I baptizing him with? And what's the purpose? In, in, uh, in, our, in our church we say it's an expression of faith, right? An outward expression of an inward truth. 
It is true. It's very true. Anyway, go ahead. So, these are the four. Yes? These are the four things. Got it? Now, if we go back to this passage, if the, they're making the spirit the subject, the object would be we, but there isn't an element. Yes, that's how we know that grammatically speaking, they're, they're translating, they're interpreting this incorrectly, is my point. Because the spirit is still the element, even though they've got the word by. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Huh? In, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Real quick, just because that top that question came up, I'm just going to just do a quick lesson, real quick, on translations, because I just want y'all to understand. So um, there's a spectrum. I, I don't know if you can read that. It might be too small in the back. It says literal, and this says dynamic equivalence literal dynamic equivalence so literal is that every word in Greek becomes an English word that exact English word does that make sense okay now you could say well I definitely want this one okay well if you do you'd want the new American standard Bible because that's its goal. Now the challenge with this though is that if there are lots of words in Greek that we don't have a literal word for in English. And there are also words that while we might have a literal word for it, in their culture it might have had a different sense about it than we would have. And so like an analogy I would give you is do y'all think that if I wrote a sentence and said, okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, are these two words the same idea? But is there a difference in these two sentences if you heard someone say it today? Yeah. If, 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 if your daughter came up to you and was like, Mother. In fact, she's not allowed to call me that. Okay, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, if you, if, you heard, if you heard a child say, Mother, I will. That sounds very different than Mama, I will. Like, there's a softness to the Mama, right? There's an intimacy that's not expressed here, right? Okay, well, there might be a Greek word for, for I'm just using this, there might be a Greek word that we would translate it correctly, literally, but we might lose something. Does that make sense? Okay, now, dynamic equivalency is we just want to make sure that what they are trying to say is what gets said. Does that make sense? But there can be a problem over here, too, because you can, now, you've got humans making these choices. Does that make sense? And the humans aren't the apostles. <laughs> the, the, these particular humans aren't the apostles, right? So they're like, they're always going to bring a little of their own theological color into how they phrase it. Okay, so, but by the way, this is 
much easier to read for us. It flows because it's in our way of saying things. It's in our, our American or English you know, vernacular. Whereas this, it won't flow as well because it's literally just trying to be word for word and it could sound choppy and feel choppy. So what we've got to do is we've got to balance out how do we get the best of both worlds. Now, scholars used to believe it wasn't possible. They used to believe we, we're really just going to make one choice or we're going to make another choice. But we actually have much better Greek and Hebrew scholarship today, and we've kind of hit on the fact that we kind of can have the best of both worlds. So the CSB would be pretty much right here. It's kind of like trying to achieve the most literal it can without losing any of the dynamic equivalency. In fact, I probably need to shade it just a little over this way. Maybe it's like right here. Now, the ESV is slightly shaded towards the literal side. It would be a little more literal than the CSB. When did this come into existence? Because this is the first time I've ever even heard of it. Yeah, this has always been. It's always been. This is what translators do. Okay. Yeah. We actually have a brochure in Mardell in the Bible section. You can pull it out, and it'll go through each one of the versions of the Bible and have a verse in each of each of the Bible, and so that tells you exactly what, what he's saying. Like down here would be what we call the New Living Translation. It's like almost completely dynamic equivalent, and it's... I think they make some weird choices, frankly, in the New Living. But there's some where it's like, oh, that's really good. Uh, I like that. I, the, the message would be off, the, the, off of this edge over here. <laughs> it's not even scripture. It's just like, I heard scripture, and I think it was kind of saying this. <laughs> Dude, you want to hear something hilarious is, um, so Sheila grew, she didn't grow up. She spent a portion of her high school years living in Hawaii because her father was in the army and he was stationed in Hawaii. And they have a language they speak in Hawaii called pigeon. Pigeon. And I can't do it. She can do it. But it sounds remotely like English. But like, um, well, like I know one phrase because I've heard this story so many times. Just to give you an idea is um, uh, this girl in her school, um, <laughs> I shouldn't say this on recording, but Sheila beat her up, like literally beat her up. Like they had a fight after school. It was like the quintessential fight after school. And, the, and, sh and Sheila is like half this girl's size. This story is hilarious if you hear the whole story. It just shows you don't want to pick on one of Sheila's friends. If you pick on Sheila, She'll let you do it all day. But if you pick on one of the people she loves, Wildcat comes out, man. I mean, it's just crazy. So this girl was really being mean to this friend. Sheila wouldn't take it. She stepped in, had no idea what the consequences are going to be. Next thing she know, she's having this fight with this giant Samoan girl who speaks pigeon. Okay, so the pigeon girl, this girl who speaks pigeon, the thing she says at the end is, she gone done lick me. That means she beat me up. See, I'm only giving you that to show you. It's kind of English, but it's like they have all these things. It's just, it's English words, but it means something different. Okay, well, there's a pigeon version of the Bible. And if you go on YouTube, 
You can watch Pigeon Church and they read from the Pigeon Bible. And it's pretty funny. <laughs> so Jesus' name is God's special, God's special Guy Jesus. God's Special Guy Jesus. He don't say, like, and it's just like this whole thing. But that's cute. Like, it is. Well, no, it's not just cute. This is a whole people group that people, the missionaries went there, translated the Bible into pigeon. Okay, I don't know why, but anyway, so does this help with the CSV, ESV? Uh, NIV would be like here. And by the way, if you get an NIV, get the 1984 version. Do not get the after 1984 version. I wonder what it's version. Huh? I wonder which version is on. You can get them both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I recommend I recommend the 84. I don't recommend anything published after 1984. If you get if you get electronic, if you have electronic Bibles, you can specify to get the 84 version. Post 84, they had a bunch of um more progressive, I'll call it, scholarship that entered the, the NIV committee, and there was some feminism that was involved in making choices, and there was some gender trans changes made to references to God and things like that. Okay. 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 Well. I, I can't tell. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. That's a great question. I don't know what the what the. I think that Spanish is just direct from Greek. Like it was, God would have used Spanish if He couldn't have used Greek. So you probably are safer. The old Bible was written in Greek. No, the the New Testament. The Old Testament is written completely in Hebrew, except for there's a section of Daniel that's in Aramaic. I really love just sitting down and reading the Old Testament in yep. NLT. Yep. It's almost just like you're reading. Absolutely. And that's really. Well, when I study, so I use a software called Logos. And when I study, I have Logos is this crazy thing. It's, you see the screen and you have, you can create panels. You know, you can have sub panels and panels and panels. And I can literally just set up tabs, you know, like this. So like this could be all my commentaries. And then up here, though, is all my Bibles. So I'll, I have like a set one, but this will be CSV, ESV, NIV 84, um, the Greek or the Hebrew, like, like that. And so then I, as I'm studying, you know, here's the, here's the scripture. As I, as I tap these tabs, it's changing to that version. So you can like compare them side by side. Mm -hmm. Is that a uh, biblical software? software? Mm -hmm. It's called Logos. Unfortunately, it's not cheap. Um, can you get like a free week trial? <laughs> no, you can get you can get an expensive versions, but no, but I, I'm, I, yeah, I, yeah. Blueletterbible.org is per, a great tool. I get frustrated with the newer update to the app. Okay. Well, we didn't get to this point, but <laughs> okay. Well. Um, is there any, any other questions about the whole notion of the fact that the baptism is a parallel to John's baptism? 
Any other questions about the law of attraction? <laughs> I self-identified as a par golfer this Nice. <laughs> and 128 shots later, I was in work. No, no, wait, wait. This is offensive because you're acting as if empirical data in the form of numbers is not a system of oppression designed to make you think you're not a scratch golfer. All right, God bless you guys. Thanks for coming out. We'll see y'all next week. Thanks for yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.